Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at you, I'm going to do it. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Handmade, the making podcast with real talk about materials. I'm your host, material scientist Anna Pajajski, and this episode I talked to conservator and podcaster Chloe Rumsey about adhesives. Chloe works as an objects conservator at the People's Museum in Manchester and she kicked things off by explaining to me what the work of an objects conservator actually entails. When I say objects conservator that means that I'm trained in the conservation of um, lots of different object types meaning lots of different material types so that means wood, ceramics, metal, textiles of all different fiber types and you know the list goes on essentially um there are different specialisms in conservation so you do get people who are specialists in textiles or paintings or metals or you know whatever um but I'm a generalist so that means that I can do this in theory do everything but of course I've got my favorites and I've got the things that I like best and the stuff that I would need to ask questions about if I was faced with it yeah um what are your favorites out of interest I am specializing in um textiles cool um but it's it's mostly organics is the stuff that I really really like um so I love painted wood I love which sounds really strange to say I love paper conservation um I love plant material as well I've done quite a lot of that in the past not so much now but um dry organic stuff amazing my bag Um, how did you get into conservation well I started off um doing a couple of degrees in archaeology um and I I well I started off as a scientist really in a level but then sort of switched my mindset because I realized that i while I have the interest, I don't necessarily have the memory um, <laughs> for, for a lot of the science stuff. And I'd like to, f- I wanted to focus on sort of history and art and that sort of side a little bit more. Um, so I did a couple of degrees in archaeology and thinking that I would, you know, 
innocently thinking that I would go and do a PhD and be an academic and then the sort of real world hit me and I realised that what that meant was sitting in front of a computer screen all the time and every so often going and digging in a muddy field (laughs) Um, and you know usually with no hope of funding or anything like that so um, I sort of reassessed and chose conservation as a sort of adjacent use of all of my different interests and skills. Yeah very cool so do you did you study that officially or get into it kind of through the job officially so at the moment though we have as a profession some uh, we're working on issues of how this affects diversity in the sector you can only really get into it through a conservation degree and there are different areas of the country that you can do that you can do it in i studied in cardiff university which has a really famous objects conservation course um there's also ucl there's durham there's um lincoln glasgow (laughs) and others for the specialisms (laughs) desperately try and remember yeah no worries but i guess yeah as you say like perhaps a bit of an elitist route in or certainly limits to uh, some people yeah there's a lot of yeah, the fact that it's just for degree is just the start, really. Mm. Um, we're trying to argue for, you know, introductions of um, apprenticeships and things. So there's a, there's a bit there's a bit more, you know, help at the start of there. But, you know, it's quite a difficult thing to get into in general because museums haven't got any funding anymore. Um, so that's that's a bit of a sort of struggle, I think, for everyone. And it hits the diversity thing, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the material that we're going to be talking about, you just said that you were a complete material generalist and you're used to working yes. with all sorts <laughs> of different objects and materials. But we've chosen to narrow that down today to discuss um, one, I guess, family of materials, which we've loosely mm-hmm. called adhesives mm-hmm. or sort of glues, really. Um, yeah. How do you work with glues and adhesives in your work? Well, it. I mean, it's, it varies a lot, which is why it's such an interesting topic. Um, and they can be made out of so many different materials as well. Um, and I think I thought of this topic because when you were a guest on um, my podcast, the C Word Conservation Podcast, um, adhesives was the thing that jumped to mind immediately because it's we can use so many different types of methods um, from cleaning to the physical fixing of museum object museum and heritage objects um but glues and adhesives are you know they hold stuff together essentially so they (laughs) they can be used to um either stick two halves of a broken thing together they can be used to line support textiles to make something stronger um support textiles or support papers um they can also be used at very low concentrations to impregnate into um really friable material so if you've got a piece of stone for example that's falling to bits or ceramic or um you know wood or anything like that um that would be called consolidation oh that's so interesting so I know that there's no one typical object that you um, tend to work with, but can you give an example of maybe taking us through the process of um, of a conservation piece of work on an object that you've worked on? Yeah, so I think what um, a, a word that I should have said already is a way of describing how we use adhesives is stabilisation. Okay. Um, conservation and stabilisation, that it's the purpose of the adhesive is to be there to add strength, but not 
hopefully or to the best of our ability change the appearance of the object um, so that is as a comparison to say a restoration approach which would be using things like in painting and um covers and stuff to change the appearance the physical appearance of the object there are all sorts of conservation ethics arguments why this might be necessary or desirable um but that sort of strays away from adhesive slightly um so the object that i've got in mind is um is a multi-stage use of the same kind of um adhesive so that's why i thought it'd be interesting to talk about so it was a painted textile um, and in my job in the People's History Museum we have so many painted textiles that's one of the uh, trade union political banners is one of the things that we're really famous for um, and this was a really gorgeous little cooperative banner um, co cooperative women's guild banner um, from 1908 um, and the the painted side of it um, was sort of tatty and torn at the bottom um it was quite fragile silk and the painted um, motif and lettering on it um, was flaking off essentially it was flaking off down to the uh, sort of white primer layer um that filled the the, the weave structure at the top um so the adhesive i used was um Lascaux, um which I would like to ask your uh, <laughs> sort of for your material science description of that after this, if that's all right. Sure, Cause I have some, um, I have some thoughts on the way that conservators think about materials versus the way that, um, material scientists, mm. cause we are, we are material scientists, but we use it in a very different sort of artistic way. So this material, um, Lascaux can be, is, comes in two different molecular lengths, um, is a four, nine, eight as a, as a sort of buzzword there and three Oh three. Um, we tend to use this as a mix because it, it, it uses the different pro different properties of the um, molecular lengths. So it makes it both strong and a bit sticky, basically. Mm. <laughs> um, so the two different ways I was using them, um, one, the first way I was using it dry, which is really interesting and a method that I only really started using whilst we were, uh, whilst I was specialising in textiles conservation, um, and the method is to use a very thin piece of textile. So we call it silk crepeline. It's very, very thin, thinner than thinner than um, a chiffon, um, quite floaty and difficult to work with um, if you're, you know, if it's got any sort of creases or crumples in it at all, because it's that thin. Um, that was, I dyed that to match the textile Um I needed to apply that to the reverse so that it would support the fragile textile and then allow it might allow me to sort of stick together all of the torn edges because it was imagine really frayed really sort of stringy silk that's just totally shattered along paint lines and things. I should say actually though some textiles can be stitched if it's painted it's not appropriate to be stitched because you'd just be poking holes in the paint all over the place. Right. Um <laughs> And that's where the sort of adhesive use in textiles conservation really comes into its own, uh, that and really fragile textiles. Um, so basically, I just applied, it's called casting, I just applied the adhesive uh, watered down 15% solution of the Lascaux mix um, 
to this super wafty fabric and allowed it to dry on a really smooth surface. And that applies a very even layer of the adhesive once it's dried to the very fine textile and then you can apply it on the sticky side down um, and reactivate it with heat because it's heat sensitive. Oh, cool. It's a very, very cool method um, and it sort of solves quite a lot of problems. The idea, in fact, I'll say that later when I've talked about the other way I used the adhesive. Um, the other way I used the adhesive was to apply it wet um, to the paint in a very, very low concentration. Um, and that was a consolidation method because the paint itself was flaking actively, we'd call it. So it was very unstable. Quite a lot of it had been lost already. Um, so we knew essentially without any intervention, it was going to just keep on going. Um, mm. So that was applying with a very fine brush to the edges of the paint and allowing the capillary action of the um, the water-based um, emulsion to sort of scoot it underneath the paint flakes, essentially. Amazing. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah. Did you have to... It strikes me that if you're adding um, anything really to a very thin, fragile uh, textile that you're going to quite, well, correct me if I'm wrong, I would imagine that it would affect the mechanical properties of that textile quite a lot. Um, firstly, is that the case? And if it is the case, then why prioritise, I don't know, what's your priority really, the appearance of it or the mechanical properties or something else? So I love that you've brought that up because that is exactly one of the considerations. Um, so the use of Lascaux as an adhesive um, for film casting and for uh, and for consolidation is that it has a re it has a, such a softness to it. Um, and there are other adhesives that are used, and there are other adhesives particularly that are being tested for this sort of thing. But it has it sort of matches the softness to silk crepeline really um it doesn't go um stiff it doesn't go sort of crinkly it has a the, the bend to it and that's partly i think because of the mix of the two different molecular lengths um but also because of the the fact that it is very very stretchy it's very um sensitive to temperature Again, with the mix that we use, we make sure it's not too sensitive to temperature because otherwise you'd have a really gooey object as soon as it reached 35 degrees. And right. not that that happens in the UK very often. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that that really characterises one of the main ways that we make decisions about the, the adhesives that we use. Obviously, before it comes into conservation, it has to be tested for its uh, ageing properties and will it start going yellow in light? Will it start, you know suddenly exuding acid <laughs> for whatever reason um but it's the um the sort of physicality of the textile of the excuse me the physicality of the adhesive itself how it responds will it be shiny on the surface of anything will it um will it respond i suppose to changes in um expansion or shrinkage dur during the life of the object um how strong is it will it break will the the so i'm talking about really i'm thinking about ceramics here 
for a ceramic fix, we wouldn't use anything that was too strong necessarily because then if it was put under strain in any way, the ceramic would go instead of the adhesive and we'd want the adhesive to be the weak point rather than the ceramic. Um, what else is there? I think there's, there's so many considerations, but that's the sort of broad spectrum of them. That is that is a really long list of considerations. I know. I wonder whether... Um, <laughs> Like chemical reactions, maybe kind of like un, 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 unexpected chemical reactions with the with the materials, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of an example to that actually. Um, like what what adhesive might there be that you wouldn't use for something specifically? Um, I think it's the chemical reactions to the environment that are the things that we really consider because if you've got um, a ceramic that's been totally fine for 200 years and then you put something next to it that's going to react with light or air and suddenly start becoming acidic and yellow, um, particularly if it then stops being um, soluble in what it was soluble before, um, then that's going to be a huge issue and you've just given yourself a massive headache essentially um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah I've, I've just mentioned um, reversibility really as a concept is a particularly important one in conservation as well that nowadays we try and make sure that all the decisions we make are completely reversible or they what we're doing is reacting to our knowledge now um, versus what happened in the past so we know that um, attitudes will change science will change understandings of the object and the object's function will change so and also the materials will change so what we don't want is to do something to an object that can't be reversed and then put ourselves in the position where we've essentially done damage to an object um in 200 years when people suddenly say you shouldn't be doing this anymore that's so interesting. Um, and I guess, yeah, we've been talking about kind of adding ad adhesives to stuff, but also I guess part of your work is being a bit of a forensic scientist as well and having a look yeah. to see what historical conservators have done if there have been multiple fixes over time um, and perhaps reversing some of their work, which perhaps wasn't originally designed to be reversible. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the concept of reversibility has been... Um, around for a long time but in the very early days of conservation so the 70s I'm thinking early 80s maybe it was more more um, things were used slightly more um, what should I say in a slightly more gung-ho manner <laughs> um, or there were particular sort of strains of strains trains of thought um, that people would follow and then that was proved with the passing of time to not be such a good idea for various reasons. And, you know, in in particular adhesives that were used and then turned out to, in 30 years, have massive ageing properties that made them really, really undesirable. Um, not that I can think of any examples. There are examples in ceramics and stone conservation in particular um, that, that they the properties just essentially completely change. Um, mm, interesting. So that's what we're trying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I spent some time with a, a stone conservator. Would he call himself that? I'm going to have to check that. 
he's a stonemason anyway, but he does conservation <laughs> works um, on, on buildings. And the Victorians apparently were really renowned for doing very aggressive conservation work and sticking yeah. cast iron into all sorts of different places to hold things together. And then a oh, yeah. hundred years later, it <laughs> rusts and everything falls apart. <laughs> exactly that, yeah. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. No, it's, it's the same thing with conservation nowadays, but the, the, the things that one would notice are much, much more subtle, I suppose. Mm, yeah. Um, I'm really surprised, actually, that you said that the early days of conservation was the 70s. Um is I don't know I guess I'm surprised to hear that that was the first time that that we really were interested in conserving objects or is is that not the case I think it isn't the case but only because when I say the early days of conservation that's more it became what it is now really ah, right um it's changed the attitudes towards museum objects changed quite dramatically um so people in the 50s were still fixing up old stuff um and they would they would sort of still be the caretakers of objects but conservation as a discipline really now um was i'd say birthed in the 70s uh, okay i hope other people i think i think other people will agree with me there i think so <laughs> But the other thing about reversibility that's really interesting to me, at least, and other geeky conservators is the concept of whether it's actually possible or not. Because if you've impregnated an entire surface sort of that would have fallen to bits without it, can you wash that out? Can you use any, even if it doesn't, even if it is reversible um, in 
a solvent is there any way of getting that solvent in there enough and then out again in a way that isn't going to just take all of the object with it (laughs) right so there are some processes that are really reversible i guess yeah yeah basically anything i'm thinking anything to do with trying to get a consolidant out Mm. is would be a nightmare um There's also arguments as if if you're trying to remove the trace elements of what you've added, right? You're probably never going to do that, really. Yeah. But the mechanical, the mechanicals. I'm just trying to think of what I would do if someone said, "I need you to reverse this." I think in reality, unless you suddenly came up with a really yellow object because your adhesive had changed, you'd your attitude would be to slowly try and reduce that yellowing and you would be thinking more about trying to trying to mitigate that damage essentially visually um because that's all that you'd be able to do but then i'm talking about this as a as a conservative it's a conservator be very careful when i say that word (laughs) (laughs) completely different meaning (laughs) completely different (laughs) Uh, i'm saying that as a conservator now and in you know 20 30 40 50 years um they might have a totally different attitude and totally different science to back them sure well, presumably they will, because that's how science works. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, does being a conservative make you look at the the world outside of museums differently? I think yes, but I am thinking of what example I would give you. Um I think a lot of the problem-solving elements that conservators find themselves doing, because obviously conservation is much, much more than just adhesives. Um, it's also sort of logistics and, as I said, problem-solving with how to, say, mount something or move, move something that's both very delicate and very heavy at the same time. Um, in that respect, definitely. Um, and just... Well, it's hard for me to say really because I have a lot of old furniture because I like old things. So (laughs) if there is, for example, a pest infestation in one of my chairs, I will have a very different attitude to sorting that out than than maybe if I wasn't a conservator. Mm. Um, I think having an understanding or an interest in particular or how things are put together is is very much a conservation thing. Um, And then that comes into the sort of artistic idea of uh, the artistic and craft idea of how things are made um, rather than just, you know, this is wood, which is layers of this and that. You see what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, So then, yeah, I guess conservation work is, is at that, it's at the central point then between material science and art and making. Mm, I like to think so. Um, And I think, it's partly because I'm an artist. I'm not really an artist, but I'm an artistic person. I do make things. Um, and a lot of the conservators that I know are very practical people. And the science, I mean, you can come at it from two different angles, really, as as it, with anything. You can either come at it, at it as an artist and train in the science or come at it as a scientist and train in the art, really. Mm. 
But I guess like with your example of the very fine silk with the paint on top, like you need you need you do need to have the skills in art in order to be able to repaint things to apply delicate um materials to other materials but with the knowledge of the art I guess oh, sorry with the knowledge of the science I guess yeah yeah it's it's using the it's using that understanding of what is available um and I think it's it conservation is such a broad topic that um there are conservators that are mainly material scientists and they do the research and they do the analysis and they um do that basically the the two work hand in hand basically they they can provide information to the people who are more on the sort of um hands-on artistic side of things um and then the the people the hands-on artistic side of things will provide the the sort of um the problems and the impetus and the sort of research goals for the the material scientist that's very broad there's so many different types yeah 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 of course which is what makes you such a perfect guest for this podcast because it aims to sit right between (laughs) our making and and the, the science of the materials um have you ever had any real disasters with adhesives and conservation work? I was thinking, as I was writing these questions down, I had a thought about, do you remember that Mr. Bean sketch where he... Oh, man. <laughs> Does everyone say yes. this to conservatives? Yeah. Sorry no, if I'm huge. But it's, no, no, it's, it's the thing that um, you sort of... I can't watch it. I cannot watch it. The Mr. Bean thing with the bubbling paint layers. Can't do it. Yeah. If any listeners can't remember or haven't seen it, it's Mr. <laughs> Bean. There's some sort of like ancient, beautiful portrait and um, something happens to it. Oh, I'm telling this really badly. Something happens to it and he tries to wipe away a little smudge on the face of the... He gets he gets biro on it, I think. Right. And then he cleans off the biro using essentially paint thinner. Yeah. And I actually haven't thought about it for so many years. I've not put any thought into what solvent that would be that would... The, the joke is essentially that he's he's removing it and then suddenly it starts reactivating the paint and all the paint is gone. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know from a, from a material scientist point of view, I'm not sure really what would be going on there. Right, right. That um, actually wasn't going to be my question. That'd be putting you on the spot a bit. But my, question, my real question was, yeah, have you had any disasters in your work? Possibly not that disastrous, but um, have you ever stuck anything to anything else accidentally? Hello, this is Anna from the future. Chloe did actually give me an answer to this question, but subsequently asked me to take it out, just in case her boss happens to listen to this episode. But Anna from the past wanted to keep the Mr Bean bit in because she thought it was funny, so the question had to stay in, but Chloe's answer will be known only to us. Sorry about that. Yeah, it strikes me that your work is all extremely, extremely subtle and that actually... It is quite. <laughs> like, your aim is really to have your not your work not seen and not noticed, which is kind yes. of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is, though there is this thing of if you have a really beautiful before and after photo, it's just... Right, oh. you, you can notice <laughs> yeah. it because, yeah. yeah, you've yeah, seen yeah. what you've done. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that, yeah, yeah. Nice. So I think this is probably an interesting time to talk about um, my kind of personal and emotional attitude to adhesives, which is really, it's a strange thing to say, but um, I learnt all the material science in my degree. Um, I have revised all the material science. Um, 
I know and have tested the appropriateness of all the different adhesives that I use particularly for all the different scenarios but it's now been so many years (laughs) and my memory is uh it's not bad but it works differently to people who remember all the facts um my memory is such that I think I have more of a um I feel the adhesives that I use rather than think them so if people say to me what's that I go oh I, oh I, I don't know it's it's sort of not too brittle and it has really good properties in this respect and that respect and if you were to you know solubilize it in acetone to half the amount it works really good for this and <laughs> that sort of thing so that's I think what I mean when I say feeling it that a lot of the time people and with repeatability is as conservation as a science it is favored to have a favored and genuinely very important to know what concentration you're using not just the solvent that is carrying the adhesive but also exactly what concentration sometimes even what temperature depending on what you're doing um which means essentially someone can read what you've written uh, if you publish it or you can read what you've written if you're repeating it and get exactly the same results that's I suppose a core aspect of conservation however when I'm working with some of these adhesives um so I'll I'll name drop Paraloid B72 for example and Clucel G and wheat starch based I use them and the solvent that I'm working with so for example water for Glucel G and wheat starch paste or acetone for Paraloid B72 I use them in a more sort of um what's the word intuitive way Mm. so if I'm consolidating something um I might have one I usually work I often work with watch glasses for example because they can you can have lots of different zones of what you're working with I might add a bit more acetone to one area of the watch glass to impregnate an area of for example a a cracking plaster Um, and then if it's a larger piece of cracking plaster that requires a bit more oomph I might use an area of the watch glass that has less acetone And if you were to ask me what the concentrations were that I was working with or um, exactly why I'd chosen these things, I'd think, oh, hang on a minute. I need to I just need to, you know, think about that and maybe just look it up quickly. Mm. And I don't think I'd be able to tell you what the concentration was. But that doesn't mean that the outcome wouldn't be positive. It just me and and that would have exactly the same sort of reversibility implications and visuals and all of that. But it's a kind of um, more maybe a more artistic way of using the materials to hand. That I I don't want it to go. I want it to go. I want it to be runny in this instance, but not runny in that instance, if you see what I mean. (laughs) Mm, Totally. So being led by the materials that you actually find underhand rather than maybe the theories or the, like you say, the exact concentrations. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we're very lucky in conservation that um, there are, there are people who do have the funding and the knowledge and the time to research things so that we do know everything that we're using is, 
we we know the appropriateness of everything we're using in different circumstances basically um so we can be a bit more intuitive with our choices but it's interesting because now i'm how long have i been doing this seven years i graduated seven years ago um and obviously because of what I've learned and the experiences that I've had, my intuition has changed. So, for example, instead of using a Clucel G in some instances, which is a cellulose-based adhesive in water, often water or alcohol, I might choose a wheat starch paste instead, um, which is in water because of the strength that it might have or because of other working properties. Um, so... It, that in that respect, it's not there is there's an element of conservation that isn't scientific at all, um, and I do know conservators that would probably frown on this as, on this attitude really. Um, so, am I nervous about saying it? Mm. <laughs> I think you're safe on this podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> so I think adhesives is it's an area that I know a lot of listeners will have had some experience of. Even if it's mm. just, you know, trying to super glue back together Granny's favourite ceramic bowl that they've just smashed. Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, do you have a sort of key message to amateur, everyday conservators, you know, home conservators, um, for how to use adhesives? I think the first thing I'd say is not meant to sound negative, but it can be construed as that is a little information can sometimes be a very dangerous thing. Um, if you're doing something that isn't reversible. So in that respect, I would know what you're using and super glue is a really good one because you can just reduce it in acetone. But do have a look at whether the thing that you're sticking together can take acetone because if you need to take it apart for any reason, like if you stuck the wrong bit to the wrong bit, particularly famous in ceramics because it's a, it's a jigsaw, then you need to know that you're not going to try and take it apart with acetone and then find that you can't <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, be careful with your quantities. That's the, that's the a famous thing for people starting is that they, they, they just use too much. But and then it bulges be, out of the crack. It bulges out of the crack, yeah. yeah. Just be careful, I think, mm. is what I'd say. And <laughs> practice, practice. If you're interested in sticking stuff together um, and you've got something that the cat pushed off the shelf, for example, <laughs> it just happens to have been, you know, your mother's or grandmother's favourite <laughs> vase or candle holder or whatever. If you've got a broken mug or something like something that you can just pick up from a charity shop that has no meaning to you, practice putting that together first, break it and practice putting it that together first so you know what you're coming at with. That's very good advice. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> if in doubt, contact a conservator. We love helping. <laughs> nice. Well, that being said, how can people get in touch with you? <laughs> well, me personally, I think um, I would contact the C Word podcast because it also gives me a chance to say it again. Um, we, I, myself and my uh, friend and colleague, Jenny Mathasson, run a, um, a, a conservation podcast called The C Word. Um, and we talk about all things in museums and conservation and heritage and that sort of thing. Um we can be contacted via that. Um, I myself work, as I said, in the People's History Museum and we can be contacted there. Um, it's a museum of democracy um, and we specialise in large painted textiles. Well, 
textiles in general, but um, painted textiles is our, our particular thing. Um, and if you want to talk to any conservator, there will be one. We're all over social media, but there is often one that can be found in a museum um, if you were interested in that, um, in talking to someone who had skills in a particular area of conservation. Um, local museums have fewer conservators, unfortunately, um, than the big nationals, but then the big nationals are always quite pressed for time. Sure. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just, just do some research. We do like to talk about our work and we do like to get ourselves out there. So we're usually it's usually easy to find us. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really, really great to chat to you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's been really nice. So that was the amazing Chloe Rumsey talking all things conservation and adhesives. Thanks so much to her for taking the time to come on the podcast. That's everything for this week. As always, I'd be super grateful if you could take the time to like, subscribe and tell all your friends about The Handmade Podcast. If you'd like to give a one-time donation, you can do so at supporter.acast.com forward slash handmade. Every little that you can give helps to keep the podcast going. So thanks very much to those who have done that. If there's any material that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, then you can always get in touch with us. We're at Real Talk on Twitter, that's R-I-A-L Talk, and on Instagram at HandmadePod. If there's a hugely long materials rant that you would like to send us, we always welcome those too. You can do so via email at realtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Dave Shepard for our awesome cover art and to Alex Athbridge for the brilliant music mix. Thanks too to you for listening and I'll see you next time on Handmade. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.